Good afternoon, everybody. Today, June 30th, 2022. Uh, today for the podcast, tell me about your tech job or tech career. I can't remember what I call it. That's really bad for somebody doing a podcast. Can't remember the title. Holy moly. Oh, well, uh, we have somebody who is a, a buddy of mine, I consider, um, Nolan Warner. Nolan is a fairly recent graduate of our program, and I wanted to have him on because he has gotten into some really interesting things at work, um, and we'll have him tell us about that because he's kind of on the cutting edge of, of some of these cyber intrusions and attacks and different types of threats. Um, and, and he has, uh, you know, occasionally shares with me some of the things that I need to look at. Because um, when I'm uh, not actively teaching a security class, I kind of focus my reading and podcasts on other things. So sometimes I miss big things, but no one helps keep me in the loop. So um, Nolan Warner here, and uh, let's take a second and just kind of tell us about who Nolan is before we start talking about the technology. Where are you from? What do you like to do for fun? Uh, those types of things. For sure. Yeah, so uh, I'm from Schaumburg, Illinois. Uh, if you guys know where that's at, it's about six hours north of Carbondale. Um, I graduated with uh, SIU's IST program, so that was before it turned into iTech. Um, sort of started getting into cyber around mid high school. And then uh, outside of that kind of outside of techie stuff, I'm super into hiking and reading. Um, right when I got out of college, I went on like a really big road trip and had a, had a great time doing that. Started uh, enjoying 10 hour drives, which is like, like just doing a little self-reflection. That's kind of weird. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's get started. Uh, you are, well, how'd you get into technology? You said you just always kind of been in technology? Yeah. So like, I, I always kind of knew that I wanted to work with computers. That was just something that I found out very, very early on. Um, and when I was in high school, one of my, one of my friends who he, he's like one of those guys that I think we would call like an elite hat. He's working in AI now, okay. but he did a man in the middle attack on our high school. And what you're saying he, with, with permission, of course, with permission, I well hypothetically, he did this, like, All yeah, right. this yeah. is just kind of like my made up, my made up origin story, it, right? It, it hasn't been seven um, years. So there's still statute of limitations is not in effect, but, but go ahead. Um, well, he actually, he actually wound up doing a good bit of security research for the school and helping them like get kind of up to par. Um, but he whispered um my password to me and i was like whoa what 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 is this stuff what's the security stuff because you know I'd, I'd been taking like ap programming courses and i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do i was leaning towards computer science and then um i kind of got pulled into the the world of infosec and like started learning about networking in um the program at uh, siu i got a gig at network engineering some taught me a lot of layer two stuff that um you know not not a lot of people have like that that niche kind of experience which was super nice um so after that i was able to get an internship um for which was a grc internship um i'm not, not sure it. if you guys have covered that it's governance recording and compliance okay sorry yeah i was gonna have you explain i'll say what that is. yeah so um pretty much that's like policy making um it is 
the record keeping to what like people think of when it comes to like stopping cyber attacks. So like um, having a policy for stopping like uh, shoulder surfing or um, like where you leave your laptop, so on and so forth, um, stuff like that. Um, but it's also like, okay, how are we going to encrypt our data? Those decisions aren't made by the people that are responding to incidences or breaches. There's a whole other department within cybersecurity that's just focused on that. Um, there's a lot of work to be done there. And there's a lot of really talented and smart people that I've met uh, working through those, those kinds of programs. But um, the focus of my internship was actually project management oriented. And um, I, did a, I did a little project on like uh, phishing statistics um, that, that was at the company, just sort of building something out using a uh, phishing simulation data that we'd already had, um, just kind of throwing together a dashboard, adding a little competitiveness between departments for seeing who could like report the phishing email the most. Um, so from there, I uh, actually want to offer a part-time position with company's uh, security operation team. Um, and from there, I spent about a year just going through phishing emails and getting to know uh, those like like forward proxy logs, phishing email logs. Um, I got pretty intimate with uh, like email infrastructure uh, during CCDC, um, which I don't know if any of you guys are members of the security dogs team, but I found that to be super helpful it was um it was like taking the uh, the pro the special projects course that tom offers um but it was drawn out and you got to sort of see yourself become go from like somebody that was just learning everything that they could to somebody that was helping people learn everything they can um which was which was pretty neat uh, and I, I i saw that with um a, a lot of the people that were involved in that in that program um so from there, um, I got the opportunity to work as a, or I interviewed for a threat detection engineer position. Um, that was about a year ago. And then I moved out to Las Vegas, where I'm at now. All right. Uh, you, were, you were cutting just there. Are you guys, are you hearing him cutting a little bit? Okay. Uh, you want to turn off the video? Here, I'll, uh, I'll try to turn off my video. Okay. Not that we don't want to see your smile. A little bit better face, now? But... Uh, yeah, let's, let's see what we can do. So you said you moved to Las Vegas after you got done with, uh, uh, your, your degree. Um, you started out at ReliQuest, right? So this is your first gig after graduating. So actually, no, um, I had a job as a security analyst, um, for uh, pretty much the entirety of my senior year. I was working part-time, uh, wow, that's right. Uh, just sort of doing DLP work, which is data loss prevention, um, pretty much stopping people that were trying to exfiltrate like sensitive information or send stuff that was unencrypted. Uh, and then I did that for about a year, um, got some really valuable experience. Honestly, I don't think I would have landed the threat detection engineer position without it. Um, and then from there, I interviewed for the, the threat detection position was able to do really well because of uh, the experience that I got in going through uh, some of the awesome teachers at SIU, like uh, Mr. Hagee and Tom and Bell. Um, and, and and you were also employed uh, with me. 
yeah, yeah. So I, I got to I got to be a TA too my senior year. I was doing quite a bit, um, and honestly, that was probably that was probably my favorite part. Tom's my favorite. <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> um, but the uh, the positions that sort of took me through, um, like the I think that TAing also gave me like a, a degree of credibility with Real Quest. It's like seeing that I was trusted to help out. That was something that was very well received. <laughs> so Tom needs extra help. But sort of from there, I started, uh, my, my SQL class was super helpful. Um, I don't know if you guys have uh, gone over QRadar or any other sims, but sort of understanding how query structures work has been super important to my job. Um, for example, right now I am evaluating a, a new technology for us to, to support, um, which basically means, um, or Tom, did, is, is this uh, the group of group of students that went over Curator? No, this is the this is the summer. It's like the seminar class where we talk to all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds. So none of these all folks, sorts of what I'm, all I'm all sorry. sorts of all sorts of different uh, levels in school. It's uh, kind of a we learn about what all what 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 different people do for their jobs and about the IT industry and that type of stuff. So no no specific technologies, but I will say. Our speaker the other day, um, last Tuesday, I think it was Jared Seats, if you guys remember hearing from him. He worked with Splunk, and Splunk is one of these SIM systems that, that Nolan's talking about. QRadar is another kind of one. So similar type of thing. You know, you feed all those log datas into it, and then that SIM system um, does whatever Nolan tells it to do um, to, to spit out what you need in terms of useful information after it's been aggregated from you know hundreds of devices sometimes. Does that sound right, Nolan? Um, and sometimes it's like tens of thousands. Tens of uh, thousands. Right? Like for, for bigger environments. Um, so my my primary role is uh, I build out like logic. So if there is like, for example, how would you detect like a brute force attack? Well, if there's a hundred failed login events for this one Windows account, and it's all coming from the same IP address that's in Jamaica. And we know this guy lives in Boston. That's probably not like valid. That's not a that's not a the type of behavior that you want to see in an environment. So and, and sometimes but, you can you can even bring in like time, like in the span of 10 seconds, those hundred login attempts, you know, that makes it even more suspicious, right? That's actually a, a crucial element of it. Um, so there are also situations where like, okay, well, there's, a, there's malware detected and now there's a connection to a, a known malicious IP address 10 minutes later or within an hour. So that, that you can, the way you break those down is by looking at these different log sources and looking through these different tools. So uh, for example, something I work with quite a bit is uh, Windows event logs. So I spend my time sort of digging through new process creations. That's what my job has been quite a bit of as of late. Um, and that's just sort of looking for anything that can be indicative of um, like, what's the word for it? Uh, malicious, malicious, like, or malware. Concern, concerning, much. suspicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
Uh, for example, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the recent MSDT zero day that popped up. Um, long story short, it's, it's a new way for people to um, get a Excel sheet or a, window, or a, a Microsoft Office file onto somebody's PC and then compromise it using that. So it used to just be like macros. And even once you opened up the Office document, you had to click enable to like kick things off. Right. Um, you don't have to do that now. Normally, Office is trying to make you run in that safe mode, which prevents any type of like active scripting or active code from being launched without you saying specifically, hey, I'm okay with you guys you know, letting Word have a little bit more responsibility and I'll take the fall if something bad happens, kind of. That's exactly what it is. And nowadays that's not needed. Um, attackers have sort of advanced beyond a point. Um, there's, a, there's a few new methods, but one that um, I have been uh, sort of getting to know a little bit more closely is this uh, Polina Zero Day. Um, and the way that that thing works is you download the file, the, the file loads um, HTML, that HTML has some JavaScript in it. So that JavaScript runs on contact and is able to break the, the loader in such a way that lets you run a command line script. Um, so the, the way that I built the detection out is you look for this sort of command line that is super uncommon in environments and even more uncommon to be like called by a by a, an Excel document or a Word document. And then from there, you, you've sort of got this uh, instance where you're able, where attackers are able to do whatever they want. Like, but that, that like, there's like two or three different things that they can do that you know that they have to do. So what you, the way you do it is you set up a detection looking for where like an office document is doing any of those like two or three things. And then once you have that, everything else is just gravy. You know something malicious happened or you something like worth investigating has happened. And when something like that is detected, um, which let's just say for, for example, Splunk, um, you, you'll have your uh, Splunk search head configured in such a way so that when something like that is detected, it sends an email out. Um, and most of the time that's emailing like your company's security operations team, uh, here at ReliaQuest, that emails our SOC. So we have, uh, dozens of professional analysts, um, just people whose, whose job it is to go through and investigate these types of alerts. Um, and now it's not just the stuff that I've talked about earlier, but, um, tons and tons and tons of different <laughs> There's that we have. Um, Say that last. I part. am not responsible for half of them. The sorry, okay. Tom. Did you say, say that? Say that last part again. You had. Yeah. So um, the the from from what my experience has been over the course of a year, I've interacted with a little bit about about two fifths of the detections that we have. I've interacted with. And I don't know all of them extremely intimately. The reason I brought up that Folino one is because that was a detection that I contributed to like designing. So 
uh, honestly, I think that the, the most important part about my job is staying up to date and making sure that I'm paying attention when there's security news. Okay. Um, so can we um, answer a question real quick? What does, what does ReliaQuest do? What is their core business? So ReliaQuest is something called an open XDR company, which um, basically what that means is we're, we're an all-in-one solution. So companies that have either mature data model or matured security programs or immature security programs can come to us and we can help them build out one. Like we've, we've had customers that have come to us and they don't, they don't have a SIM. They don't, they don't have any logs getting collected, but they know that they want to secure themselves. So uh, we help them get everything up and running we give them uh, X amount of detections per quarter. We give them that content. It's 100% theirs. If they like choose to leave our company, they get to keep all the work that I do for them, which is honestly my favorite part about my job. Um, I don't, the, the good things that I've done for this company will stay with them. Um, so besides that, we also have like engineering teams whose jobs is just getting getting their Splunk instance up and running or getting everything walking the way it needs to be. And then beyond that, uh, they also get our SOC or our security operations center. Okay. Um, so 24 seven, there's always an analyst. There's always somebody that is working alerts and making sure that things don't go um, uninvestigated. All right. So ReliQuest. We also have threat hunting teams. <laughs> ReliQuest does manage security. Um, they're an MSSP, right? I'm sorry? Are they an MSSP? Would you call them that? So would I call them that? Um, yeah. I mean, in general, manage, manage security services provider. Um, so that's actually like a really big, like, like, no, no, term. we try to stay, okay. we try to stay away from like calling ourselves that just because we, we have this, this product called gray matter, which um, sort of aggregates all of their, all of like somebody's logs. We're, we're a little bit more than an MSSP. Okay. Um, but we're, it, it, they're comparable, right? Okay. They're extremely comparable. So, so let's say um, like SIU. So I, I wouldn't quite call them that. <laughs> okay. SIU has you know a few people on staff they've got hundreds of servers let's say this is just you know hypothetically and they realize we need to do more you know these other universities are getting hacked we need to bring somebody in from the outside with a little more expertise and so they choose ReliaQuest and ReliaQuest you know leverages kind of economies of scale in that they've got hundreds of customers that are similar and different but they have a way of doing things of setting things up for um, giving the customers what they need in terms of um, providing a, a, a better kind of security posture by implementing technologies, using your engineering team to help install stuff, recommend things, fix problems. And then when we get to this, this logging and threat, uh, threat detection and stuff, they, ReliaQuest will install the, the SIM instance or the, the, Q, the Q radar you're using mostly. I'm sorry, you cut out at the very end there. Um, so, so you'll you'll in, you'll install the Q radar, right? Is that the the main one? Yeah. So you'll install. Well, so Q -radar. so Q radar is Q radar is the cheapest one. Um, okay. And 
because of that, it's it's one of the more popular ones. But Splunk is still the king. Um, <laughs> so so we get that set up, and then we get those detections built out in the in the customer sim, regardless of what sim technology they're using. Um, I like I like I mentioned earlier, I'm doing a tech review for another sim that like is almost more of an endpoint detection and response tool than it is a sim. But okay. we're gonna have it. So you build the you build the sim for the customer. They may have a license for something like Splunk, and you use that. They may have a contract with somebody like Q, and they and they use Q, whatever. Uh, they may just have nothing, and so they say, "Let's get the cheapest." You get Q radar, and so you build the sim infrastructure at the customer's site and on their network. Is that correct? It's typically a cloud instance if we're building it up for them, uh, just to make things a little bit easier for us to manage um, okay. and to like not require that technical experience on the customer's end. Okay. Um, but but yeah, we we get them we get them ramped up to where they need to be to where our services can provide value to them. Okay, and so so the, you've you've got a uh, a cloud instance of Q Radar that you have spun up for the, this brand new SIU customer. You guys help SIU identify, you know, which are the servers, which are the firewalls, the infrastructure devices, the, you know, the applications that you want to get data from, and then you help send those up to the cloud to QRadar, and then SIU now has, you know, in a nutshell, QRadar running, which is aggregating logs for hundreds of different, you know, uh, data points or data devices, and and then once that happens, you get to work customizing um, what's necessary for that customer and then building based on what's happening out in the world, um, new detection technologies for those different SIM devices. Yeah, exactly. So you, you described it, you hit the nail on the head there, Tom. Um, so there's going to be like standard ones that, you know, everybody's going to want. Everyone wants to be able to detect a uh, cobalt strike beaconing, uh, DMS beaconing, which I remember first learning about that in, uh, in your enterprise security class, Tom. <laughs> now I've, I've built out ways to detect it, which I think is super cool. Um, that is cool. But you're also going to have things that are standard, super standard, like, like phishing emails, for example. Um, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're going to want to. Uh, have some coverage there. Um, the customization can actually start even earlier though. So not like, for example, um, SI, take SIU in particular. Um, I don't necessarily know if SIU is going to want to be logging everything that happens on their guest network. That might be way too much. It might be way too expensive for them to, to log that. So there might be uh, gaps in, in those regards too. Um, the, the customization, the, the real like nitty gritty customization happens once detections have been built out and we're seeing things that, you know, okay, in a, in a standard environment, it wouldn't really make sense to see the, these like MSDT alerts, but you guys have this super special program where you're, um, using MSDT as part of like your student tracking software or something like that. Tell us, so tell us we're, what, we're going to make sure that M that doesn't trigger the alerts. MSDT, what's that? I'm sorry? What's MSDT? Oh, MSDT is uh, the original. That's the name of what's getting abused in the Felina exploit that happened recently. Okay. And it's a legit file, though. 
I'm sorry? Is it a legit file? Uh, yeah, so MSDT itself is legitimate. It's just the way that it's being abused is super uh, like nasty. Um, okay. It doesn't get used that much in general. Um, and some environments have found success just like flipping the switch on it and turning it off, <laughs> um, which is a security practice I feel like we don't see enough. <laughs> Okay, but but uh, like you said, there there may be where... there may be business reasons to that that you can't just turn it off. There's something in SIU's network or some sort of student grade reporting or whatever that uses that, right? So you can't just say turn it off. And because there's this threat that's active and out in the wild and and actively being exploited, you've got to figure out a way to allow that traffic or that process msdt to run because one of the big things in security is you can't make things so secure you can't block so many things that the business can't do what it needs to do right the business has got to be at the forefront and that's the security isn't an afterthought but it works hand in hand to enable the business so the msdt is causing problems across the world siu still needs it and so you have to figure out kind of within SIU's confines and their environments and their, um, you know, within their networks and infrastructure, how it normally looks and how it normally would work so that when something happens that kind of breaks those norms with MSDT, it gets an action created, right? And that action could exactly. be, that action would be something that generates a, an email to the security team or maybe, you know, a, a text message or a, a, a red arrow that pops up on a dashboard someplace, but it it alerts based on you, Nolan, the, the, the engineer, creating these special um, rules that, that work to both allow and not alert everybody when there's something legitimate with that MSDT, but find the things that are abnormal and then bring those up for further investigation when it does see something. And all that's happening because you've got these logs on all these devices within the network aggregating or, or, or getting their, their, their log files and shipping them up to that SIM in the cloud. And that SIM in the cloud has also been created and tweaked and made so that it knows which devices to look at which logs for and how to kind of uh, to visualize things and how to aggregate them and use logic to pick through and find the different components that are important. That's exactly right. Um, and how you were saying that, um, like there, we come like companies and like businesses, organizations, they can't just turn things off and make themselves secure. Uh, oftentimes, like it, it, obviously it's possible, but there's no such thing as being 100% secure. Um, if you air cap your network, there's going to be somebody that brings in a flash drive because they needed to work on something at home, right? Um, and that's where that's where detection comes into play. That's where that's um, plays a key element, right? Um, being able to pick out those things that are suspicious. Um, for example, I have a, a really uh, large customer that I was helping out. Uh, building some detections for. And the detection was looking for a uh, hidden PowerShell, uh, hidden uh, PowerShell commands getting ran. And one of them was for um, TeamViewer, which I, I don't think I, I've told most of you guys, but like hidden remote desktop software is super suspicious. Um, but that was, that was part of what the customer uses. 
So that's, that's something that is expected in their environment. Right. Um, so obviously it's something that like, you know, you're going to continue to keep an eye on, but um, do, do we have anybody in here that's like looking to, to be a, a, like a red teamer? Interested in, and in being a ethical hacker may not know, maybe Jordan. Tell us what so, you can tell us. Um, yeah. So oftentimes what hackers, hackers don't go undetected in mature environments. Um, even, even when they're successful in what they're doing, um, they're not like getting in and out without a trace, if, if that makes sense. Um, right. There's, there's always going to be something and more often than not, um, there, there are going to be uh, alerts that are triggered and there are going to be eyes on those alerts. Um, the, the trick is to out like, which I, I think that coming from like, like an ethical hacking standpoint, you don't necessarily want to like outplay the, the person that's sitting in my, that's sitting in my seat or that's sitting in the analyst seat. Um, but that, that's seems to be what um, the threat landscape is turning into. Um, how do we, how do we deceive security professionals? rather than how do we deceive um, Jeremy in accounting um, or okay. uh, Michael in HR. Okay. It's, or, um, no, it's, it's usually Toby that's in HR. Is Toby in HR? Okay. Yeah. All right. My bad. I, I, I got to send him an apology email. That's an um, office reference, guys. But the... Uh, um, I'm sorry for jumbling my words there. So the way that things have sort of been shifting is okay i'm just going to name my malicious payload java w.exe and someone's going to see that and be like oh that's that's just normal activity that's java i, I know java it's standard um that's sort of where i've seen things shifting towards and it it doesn't like live up when you do your due diligence like okay this file's name is java is Java W.exe. What's its file hash? Is that the file hash that like Java W.exe actually has? Or is this just something that's taking the name of it? So it's sort of taking what can be changed and what can be shifted and using that to sort of play into um, people that um, like, like an, invest an investigator that works for the NSA isn't going to fall for that, right? But oftentimes, these guys aren't trying to fool investigators for the NSA. They're trying to fool people that are uh, one person on a five-man team for an insurance company's security operations program. They're trying to fool uh, the, the IT guy that's trying to multitask and do everything. And that's where uh, the MSSPs and companies like ReliQuest and uh, our competitors like um, DeepWatch, um, that's where we we come into play, right? Like there, there's a degree of expertise that's already there. Um, and while you can always get better until you're at that like state level, <laughs> um, there's always going to be attackers that are coming up with new little tips and tricks. And that's, I mean, and that's just the, the never ending battle. Um, as long as I've been working in security and teaching security and learning about security, the bad guys are just coming up with new ways to get 
around the defenses that the good guys are putting in place. And uh, just like you said, now that's, that's, that's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting shift, you know, that, that, that now they, they, they know that these companies that have the high value assets, whether that be, you know, uh, confidential, you know, human resources information that they'll try to steal and put on the black market or credit card numbers or, proprietary information like like corporate trade secrets or or military um, classified data um, they know that those types of companies have people in place that do the security and manage the security and are on top of watching what's going on with these sims and other tools and even hiring companies like ReliQuest and and Nolan to to help them and so the shift has been to what you said, finding out ways of tricking these people on the back end that's job it is to manage these security and find alerts and help do this threat detection and tuning um so they're 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 kind of ratcheting up who they're going after in terms of being sneaky is that does that sound right yeah yeah that's um that's what i was getting at um and you know when that's that's where like alert fatigue is what it's called comes into play like if I'm one guy on a six man team and we get 300 alerts per day, right? I'm not going to be able to look as in depth as I might like for each alert that I investigate, right? And that's what attackers count on. So the goal that ReliQuest has is we don't want to alert on anything unless we think it's malicious. Because, and we have reason to believe it's malicious. Right, because when you're talking about logs like if you're talking about a log from a firewall of of the things that are blocked or the things that are allowed or sessions that are created or you know the the logs of a web server in the database backend you're talking about you know thousands and thousands and thousands of different events and the mm -hmm. the threat detection tools like the sims or or otherwise um you know they can they can they can come with default out of the box rules that may work fine in one person's environment but when you take it over to another now you're getting all these alerts because something that goes across that network matches some sort of alert um on on that new you know on that tool even though it's malicious or it's non-malicious it's standard and i'll give you an example when i at my old job before i started teaching i had an intern and he implemented um, Snort and Snort is one of the first oldest open source intrusion detection systems. And so he got this running. It was really cool. A project on his own. He was an he was an IST student at the time. He got Snort running. We had it so Smart we, guy. yeah, it was a tough thing for him to do. But he got it going, and we made it so that our server VLAN, which is you know maybe 16, 20 different servers, that VLAN was was um, mirrored out so that it would send everything that was going to and from that VLAN to Snort. So Snort would snort up this traffic that it was seeing and it would look at each frame um, or sometimes combine the frames in the, together and then run it through a list of the detection rules that were there. And by de default, there were thousands and thousands of rules probably. And, and when he first implemented it, all were turned on. And what soon happened was yeah we got seen a lot of alerts but one thing in particular that i remember tracing down was i would be at home and it'd be 11 o'clock at night and all of a sudden i would start seeing these alerts 
that um, were sent to my email and I'd be like a hundred of them all at once. And it was alerting saying that a, um, a very, very critical exploit um, was was using SMB, the server message, bro, bro, server message blocks protocol, file sharing protocol, a, a, a really bad exploit against that protocol um, on, on a Unix server from one system, which I think was a file server be sending traffic to another server. And, and we looked at that and I looked at that and I'm thinking, this sounds really bad, but one, we don't have any Unix systems. So that rule doesn't make sense because nobody has a Unix system to be exploited. So why would we turn that rule on? And secondly, it ended up being that the traffic was actually nightly backups from the, the one file server sent over across the, the VLAN that was being monitored by Snort to the backup server, intermediary server. So whenever that system started firing off its, its files to go to the backup server, Snort thought that that Unix attack was happening during that traffic. And it just was, you know, bad luck that backup traffic using a Veritas backup exec or something like that started its handshakes to look like something that was that malicious SMB Unix exploit. So completely not related to anything we're doing, but close enough to what Snort thought that it should send out alerts. And, and that's where, you know, you guys and your expertise, Nolan, and your company's expertise come into play to help really, like you said, prevent that alert that fatigue, because you don't want your, your IT folks to have to sift through crap that, that just takes their exactly. time, takes their time. You know, their brain gets all funky because they're just looking at, nope, that's fine. That's fine. You want to only alert on stuff that's legit, which, which makes sense. And it, and it takes a while to, to do. Um, but given the fact that you guys do this as your kind of uh, one of your bread and butter um, offerings, it's something, you know, and you know, well. Mm -hmm. So it, it's our, it's our, to be honest, like we, we, we market our product gray matter quite a bit and I, I haven't used it enough to say anything like extremely positive or negative about it. Um, but I will say that if gray matter doesn't, isn't taking in detections, then it's not really doing anything. Um, and that's my, my role is to give it detections. Um, the, the thing about the, the rules that we build, the, the content that we put out uh, or our detections is that we have thousands of them and very, very few of them are still under first iteration. So we're constantly looking for ways to improve it. And uh, how you were talking about, uh, you know, like, like a Unix server triggering an alert, uh, triggering an SMB vulnerability alert, um, that, that rule would never get pushed. Everything is curated very specifically to the customer um, to determine, okay, well, what technologies do you have? What could we alert on? How, uh, how effective would those alerts be? How good are these logs usually? Like, um, for example, uh, there's, there is, um, you can detect phishing emails and using O365 mail logs. And that's, that's fine and dandy, right? Like if, if you don't have any other way to, to log like email security logs, like that's great. But if you have uh, proof point email security, which is a, uh, it, it's, I wouldn't call it the industry standard, but it is my favorite kind of email security log to see. Like it's really just a great, 
great company, great service. I'm following everyone that works at that company on Twitter. So those guys are chads. Um, okay. The, well, they're, they're, they're just, they're great. They post a lot of good stuff. Okay. Um, but those logs are just so much higher fidelity that if I have a choice between building something with O365 logs and building something with proof point logs, like e email security is proof points thing. Why would, why would I build it with Office 365 when I can build it with ProofPoint? Um, but then you also have customers that want it to be built with both and they want detections on both because sometimes, you know, there's, there's information that Microsoft has that ProofPoint doesn't by, by the nature of the beast. Microsoft is um, like, well, they're, they're Microsoft, right? Um, there is a really good video. It was a, it was a SANS talk done by a former threat intelligence lead at Microsoft where he goes in depth about like what they do differently and how they're able to sort of track activity um, in ways that nobody else can just because of how unique of a situation uh, Microsoft has found, it, found itself in. But identifying what can be built in what environments and how good it is, is a big part of my job. And then going through those alerts and investigating basically whenever, whenever that fires. Um, so we're, we're in a pretty rigorous process before we uh, push a rule to production, so to say, or like to have it start notifying our security team. And part of that is look, looking back a month and just seeing like, okay, what did this fire on? What would this fire on, if anything? And, you know, you're not gonna get too many like false positives if you do that on like a ransomware rule, right? But if you're doing it on a malicious email rule and Stephanie from accounting sends something to, to Jeremy um, an IR, and it, it's got a .exe in it for whatever reason, 0365 marks that as malicious, that'll trigger the rule that maybe Stephanie sends that email every week. And that's something that can get removed from that environment. Like we can, we can tune it out. It doesn't have to get removed at the, um, at the production environment level. It can get removed from the, at the alerting level. Okay. And that's where a lot of the fine tuning and personal personalization of content comes from. So um, that's another way that attackers are attempting to deceive people that are in my role. Um, so say an attacker does something and it, it, it's really clever. It's very well done. And it, it fools an analyst. That analyst then requests for me to change this item so that we're not, we're not seeing additional noise on it like we or maybe the customer has been deceived and now the customer is asking not to see anything else on it so my, my job is to sort of play the devil's advocate and call everything malicious um the the role of analysts are to determine you know it does this need to be sent up to the customer or is this something that um we can we can verify as acceptable behavior Okay. And, and I guess maybe we're getting close, but, um, what, what do you do, um, in terms of like threat intelligence, there's something new that's out there. That's, that's hitting 
you know, maybe um, the, the competitors of one of your customers, you know, and a lot of times what you'll see is, you know, if there's a, a, a cyber attack, it'll go across the whole industry. Like it'll go across, uh, you know, the, the medical industry or it'll go across the financial industry. So if you see that one of your customers, um, competitors has some sort of, you know, malware that's hitting them, what type of resources do you use in order to learn about that? And in order to figure out the best way to create some sort of, um, uh, what, what, what's, what's the term that you use, like detection or rule or? So yeah, yeah, detection or rule, both of those work really well. Um, they both accurately describe what we build out. Um, so you're gonna be really disappointed in my answer, Tom. I, I can already tell. Um, okay. So first and foremost, you know, as a as a detection developer, it's not my as funny as that that name comes off. It's not my job to come up with new detections. Um, that's something that I do because I'm I'm personally very interested in threat intelligence. It's some okay. it's a field that I want to move into. Um, our threat intelligence team would might have more specifics to it than uh, what I can give you. But when I was uh, working on building out that Felina uh, detection, I just Googled it, man. <laughs> I, I stuck to Twitter. I was keeping an eye on zero days that were coming out. Um, that's just part of, I think, being a security professional nowadays is staying up to date on social media, uh, paying attention to the news, less so than social media, to be completely honest with you. Um, I had an article out on Felina that I wrote uh, a day or two before uh, the bleeping computer did. Um, and that's just because I was paying attention to social media, which that's what, that's what the people that work as reporters for those companies do. So just sort of being able to keep your, keep your ear to the ground. Um, there are uh, Discord servers full of threat actors and Telegram servers full of threat actors. Um, I... Yeah, bad guys. Um, I uh, am in a few of them, um, not because I'm a bad guy or anything, but because that's oftentimes where they announce like new victims. For example, um, Lapsus. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that group, um, but they the recently uh, they they that wasn't this AMD hack. Okay. But they did hack AMD in the past. They also hacked NVIDIA and um, right. Microsoft, as well as a company named Okta, which they get, they I know that Samsung. SIU doesn't. They did Samsung too, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, okay. they, they have hit quite a few big, really big names. Um, that seems to be their focus. Uh, the main guy that was like running the show there got arrested. Um, he's 15 years old. Um, and he was buying and selling zero days. Um, he, he actually lost $14 million gambling in Bitcoin. Um, not like gambling in Bitcoin isn't like buying Bitcoin, but he was on like dark websites gambling using Bitcoin. <laughs> he lost that much money. Um, so he was recently arrested, but uh, that company for, or that organization, for example, would announce their targets before they attacked them. Um, Microsoft and Okta both uh, were, were examples of that. Um, Okta in particular, uh, they just sort of called Lapsus a liar and then 
four months later announced that they had been breached three months ago <laughs> or three months prior. So okay. it's a lot of companies trying to save face. And uh, the attacking or the, the offensive like environment has become a lot more um, streamlined. So Conti is another major ransomware operator. Um, they actually, so they had a bunch of their chat logs get leaked after they announced their support for the Russian government uh, and the Russian Ukraine conflict. Um, whether or not they knew that one of their members was Ukrainian isn't really known, but the, that Ukrainian member of the organization responded by leaking everything. Um, and that included like training documentation that Conti had developed. They were hiring people to work as developers on their ransomware and making them do like code reviews. It was a computer science job. They, they implemented Agile, which is like a, uh, <laughs> a workflow that is used in like software development the, the data methodology and, and project. Yeah, management. exactly. So I mean, um, what we're seeing is is these bad guys are sophisticated and they're running like legitimate businesses in a lot of cases. I mean, the the ransomware industry pays a lot of money. There's there is quite a bit of money that is being made, and there's likely more money to be made um, doing that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, it's kind of you know, it, to a point, it's kind of a shame that the information security industry has to exist but that's just sort of what we're dealing with and to sort of counter that there's been this this ransomware industry has come about where it's an effective way to um sort of counter the mssp system that that exists like there, there's a there's a there's a dollar amount that convinces people to break the law and people get pulled into it. Um, I mean, I, I know people that have been contacted by these kinds of organizations and they, they turn them down on moral grounds, um, which is quite a bit of what's sort of keeping this industry where it needs to be, which is um, ahead of the curve. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And one thing I would like to get your thoughts on before we wrap up, um, what I've seen recently is, you know, each, each company that does like what you do, uh, what ReliQuest does that managed, uh, you know, service, uh, security service providers has a product for, for detection. You know, they, ha they have their own secret stuff that they, you know, they keep kind of close to the vest, but most of these companies have their own kind of research groups, um, threat detection groups, yeah. and, and they're out there and they're like, like doing what you are hanging out in the discords, getting into the mix with the people who are designing um, the, mm -hmm. the, the exploits. And then, you know, they, they take that information and implement it into the products, but more and more we're seeing this open sharing of, of knowledge because, you know, it's, it's in nobody's interest for, you know, ReliQuest to discover some sort of, you know, tremendous zero day that's going to hit a million servers and, and keep it to themselves so that they can sell their product. You know, that's that's not in the interest of everybody else. And so in the greater good, companies, security researchers are are putting more and more of that information out, even at the, you know, the the loss of sometimes bug, bug bounties or other types of pay just for the greater good of, you know, the technology and the network and, and you know, our, our world. Um, 
which I'm, I'm I think is really cool. And social media, Twitter, um, these Discord channels and things like that are are where a lot of that's being shared. And and like you said, a lot of good information. If you're into security, find the people that are doing the cutting edge stuff on Twitter and follow them because you know you'll pick up some some gems and you'll pick them up uh, a lot of times before you know they 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 reach some of the more um, mainstream computing and security resources and, and books and or not books uh, and follow who they follow follow who they follow good one good one um all right That's, let's um any anything else i should have asked you that i didn't um i i just want to say that uh like the the way that i was able to kind of like come up with my methodology for um building out my intelligence network so to say um my twitter feed um, was tracking down seven or eight people that I knew were like top of the industry, like um, quite frankly, just like people that were on the cutting edge, um, tracking them down on Twitter, making sure that they're posting like good content and then sort of going through their feed and following everything that I could find there. And the way that I came up with that was from uh, a book, actually. It was called Sizing People Up by Robin Dreek. Um, it, as far as career development goes, I can't recommend it enough. Um, it, it's been extremely helpful to me. And to be honest, I probably would have flunked the interview that I had that landed me the, this job. I hadn't read it. <laughs> um, so that that's pretty much it, Tom. I mean, unless, unless anybody else had any other questions. You guys have questions? Anything? All right. Well, then we'll wrap up with five questions from Tom. Are you ready, Nolan? Oh, rapid fire. Okay. Yes. What's your favorite food, restaurant, or cuisine? In Vegas? No, um, in anywhere. It's across. Just, oh, just period. Gotcha. Uh, there's this place called M Sushi Burrito in Schaumburg, and it's amazing. Sushi Burrito? Yeah, it's called M Sushi Burrito. Yeah. I get the uh, the Korean bowl there. It's super good. Okay. Uh, are, do you have any podcasts, books, movies, TV uh, shows that are about technology um, that you want to recommend anybody? Sure. So right now I'm in the middle of reading Open Source Intelligence Techniques uh, by Michael B. Um, I think I was just getting started with that, Tom, the last time we spoke. But um, besides that, I think that uh, The Psychology of Intelligence by Richard Hoyer um, is incredibly useful. It's got a lot of like CIA and FBI jargon in it that you're going to have to look up. Um, I'm like less than an hour into the audiobook, and it's probably one of the best resources that I've come across. It's definitely impacted how I think. Um, and then, uh, war games, the movie from the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, let's see. Is there a technology that you have not yet, but would like to learn about um, either at work or personally? Um, so Reliquos recently acquired this company called Digital Shadows, which is an intelligence firm that uh, is a little bit more like, like Reliquos' presence is really big in the States. Digital Shadows is more of an international company. Um, I really want to learn how to use their platform because <laughs> okay. I, I haven't been able to get trained up on that, but that's something I'm really looking forward to doing. Um, and then Shodan. Shodan. Okay. 
Um, how do you think your role or your career will change over the next five to 10 years? Um, I'm probably going to retire and just like live on a farm somewhere, just Re- get... write a book, just like disconnect. <laughs> um, too many alerts in, in 10 years, in 10 years. Yeah. Um, in five years, I'd, I'd like to be working in threat intelligence. Okay. Awesome. And then lastly, you may have kind of answered this, but if you could retire today, money, no object, what would you do? I'd probably like buy a cabin in Montana or something to start like reading and writing. Okay. I hear the prices Join in Montana the... are getting pretty high. I'm a, I'm going on a, a, a one week vacation there in a couple weeks. So I'm looking forward to it. Are you going by yourself? No, my, uh, my girlfriend and a friend of mine from my hometown is going to be coming out. Is it's this... supposed to be a birthday gift for my baby sister, but <laughs> Awesome. Is this the same she, girlfriend you told me about? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Cool. Well, well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, that's all I've got. It's almost one o'clock and, and uh, Nolan's got some threats to intelligence. Uh, I wish. <laughs> thank you very much. This, of course, is, uh, thank you. this has been awesome. Um, anything else, guys, or else we're going to stop the recording. <laughs>